Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Humility Gap podcast. I'm Bethan Willis, and throughout this series, I'll be talking to academics, politicians, and public figures to find out how we can become more open-minded. We'll be looking at the virtue of intellectual humility in order to help us really focus in on the habits and practices which can enable us to become more open-minded. In this Cafe Chat episode, we talk to Paula and Olivia from Uncomfortable Oxford. They recently began what has become a hugely successful series of walking tours, exploring the difficult parts of Oxford's history. They talk about how these tours have drawn academics, students, local residents and tourists into conversation on controversial topics. They suggest that constantly asking questions is the key to developing open-mindedness. So it's great to be here today with Paula and Olivia from Uncomfortable Oxford. We're going to have a quick chat about their um, incredibly interesting projects, which they've been doing for the past, is it two or three years? Uh, nine oh, months. Nine months. Oh my goodness, <laughs> you've achieved so much in that time. Um, so yeah, do you want to explain to um, us what you've been doing over that time and why you've been doing it? Uh, well, it started very much as a kind of a, a pet project. We met last summer uh, in July at the Public Engagement Research Summer School at Torch here in Oxford. And um, we were supposed to basically um, participate in a pitch competition and propose, uh, yeah, an idea, a project. And I had been on a, on a postgraduate tour in Berlin, and it had got me thinking that it would be very interesting to try to to explore the stories that could be told in Oxford um, if we base ourselves on the on the urban landscape. And, and Oxford is obviously a very walkable city. And I was also thinking about my practice as a historian where I'm very often in, in the classroom and how I could better engage with other kinds of publics. And I started chatting with Paula, who had a lot more outreach experience than I did. Yeah, so I was working as a tour guide at that time, again, because as a historian, you want to be better at teaching history, and it was a great opportunity to do that. So I worked for three years by that point as an Oxford tour guide, learning the history, but also feeling very um, something missing from that history that's told. Something was always missing from it. It's always the same story you get when you go walk around the streets of Oxford. And so then Olivia talked to me. Yeah, and uh, well, we, we, we did the pitch competition. We didn't win, <laughs> but we did get in touch with uh, someone who was involved with the IF uh, Festival of Science and Ideas that was running in October, um, in October uh, 2018, and it's running again this year. And they offered us to, to do something to kind of to actually do the research and come up with a tour for the festival. And well, Paula was very proactive about it because she thought that the best way for us to really get to do it was to take a slot every single day at the festival. That means a tour every day for 11 days in October, which is actually a challenging thing because it is outside. Huge, yeah. And so we didn't know each other very well, but we started emailing each other a lot and talking over the phone and with the research on our side. And when we both came back to Oxford in, in the fall, we yeah we put together the tour we started did a few practice runs with friends and then we did it for a festival and it grew so fast on the first day yeah it was quite yeah. shocking our it was open to anybody who wanted to show up but our first day we had about 15 people um which grew to 17 then 25 and then 40 and then the last day we had over 80 people show up to the tour wow. um, and what do you think it was that was really drawing them to it what do you think they were 
hope things get out of it. A lot of them had their friends who had come on the tour in the first days when there are just like a, a small amount of people. Yeah. Uh, what was very interesting is that we didn't advertise it too much ourselves. We didn't advertise it to the university. So it was very much through the medium of the festival. Uh, it, a lot of people from the community, a lot of tourists came on the tour and it was kind of a very balanced mix of students who had an interest in those questions and people who are from here or who have an interest in Oxford and who are very curious to engage uh, with those uncomfortable uh, topics and questions. Yeah, so the tour was, was marketed as the uncomfortable tour mm. and I don't think that many people knew what to expect besides the fact that it would be a little bit uncomfortable. Um, we sure made them that way because it was a discussion-based tour and it still is. So for end of people, anyone who walks up, it's, it's a moment where you're going to have to have a conversation on that tour with people you've never talked to before, likely wouldn't ever usually have a conversation with. So someone from the university talking to a local person in town, talking to the random tourist who happened to show up as well about difficult history. So we, we went over a number of different histories um, we, we talked about imperialism and colonialism. We talk about gender discrimination, a little bit about slavery and slave wealth, uh, some financial questions about where money comes from. Um, and all these kind of topics were conversations that many people, I think, have had or at least heard about, but never been engaged with directly in the same manner. So we would, our format is to stand at a spot and give information and then to ask a number of questions and Anybody can answer any question, however they choose. Uh, it's always a bit of a moment of terror for the first 30 seconds as everybody has to break that wall of silence. But when it happens, it's broken, and suddenly people are breaking a barrier that has existed around these topics and are having conversations that they have never had before. Yeah, well, I think they might have had those conversations amongst their peers, but having those conversations with people they don't know in the public space as well. And it's also not in a lecture-style format. It's very much a conversation happening on the street with a group of up to 15 people who try to limit the size at this point. But it, I think people really engage and have to maybe articulate their thoughts a little bit more, but also they have to be ready to listen to other opinions, opinions that are similar, but yet slightly more nuanced or slightly different from their own. I kind of liked the, the way that you named it and, and this kind of open dialogue discussion kind of thing. And I think you said um, when we spoke before that um, sometimes you know that people disagree with what you've said or they come back with comments which you deeply disagree with, but you don't put your own um, perspective onto them. You simply kind of invite questions and open a space. Is that right? Is that what you feel you're trying to do? And is that the motivation? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Very much so. We really... Obviously, we all have our own personal opinion, but it is the goal of the tour is not to showcase those opinions or to, at the end of the conversation, be the one who has the right answer. There is, those are difficult topics to, to discuss. There's a reason why there is debate about it and when there is not a one, uh, like a single answer uh, for those questions. And that's what we're trying to show through those tours and we want people to be more aware of that. So we really much want to to show the variety of opinions that can exist. And actually what's very frustrating is whenever we have a group where most people agree uh, on, on a difficult, like, on the, the response uh, to have uh, when faced with a difficult uh, legacy, such as, for instance, the famous, the most famous one in Oxford, the Rose Statue, right, on High Street. And if, if we do have a group where most people are very much against these roads and all agree that 
the statue should be removed. I feel a bit frustrated because I would want to have a more uh, complex discussion about how do we deal with statues and memorials to individuals in the public space, what are the possible responses, how can artists contribute, and so on. And there's, it, it ends up being a lot of times where you take a, a stance because nobody else has in order to create another ex perspective for people to consider and usually one that you would normally not be the one who does it in the first place. Um, but you do have to recognize, and we try to do this in our tours, you recognize how much power you have as a tour guide, especially as one who represents a member of the university in some way to individuals who are visiting or local or another member of the university and when you're, when you're in the position of power that is a person who has the knowledge to give to the group who signed up for the knowledge um, it's really difficult to to create a space for them to talk as well and that's what we're trying to do it's, it's not about what we think and not about what we know it's about what we all think and what we all can contribute to that conversation and that's where the tensions can occur and also the most productive thinking yeah that's really interesting and do you think um, broadening it out just from um, maybe kind of this small Oxford context do you think that's something we're missing generally in public life do you think that's why people really want to engage with your um, tours because they feel like there's an opportunity there to do something that maybe they don't always get to do perhaps mm. I don't know I think that's very possible and there are many very in interesting engaged groups that exist in Oxford there is the research network um uh, race and resistance, there is common ground, there are a lot of other different groups, but either they are only part of the community or they are only part of the student body, and there are very few groups that kind of bridge the gap and try to actively engage with people from all the different spheres that cohabit and coexist in Oxford with, without actually meeting. Um, yeah, definitely. It feels like there's a bit of an inconsistency for individuals who spend a large time of, of their life at Oxford, um, researching, studying as academics or students, but don't actually talk to locals who are from Oxford. And and this is a way that people can, can actually meet somebody on the street. And that is something that shocks, I think, everybody in the situation when it happens, because how many times do you walk down the street and actually talk to somebody you've never known before? Yeah. And that's, that's what brings people in in a lot of the ways, too. They, they feel like they can actually get that alternative perspective and everybody wants it so everybody wants to know what you know the academics are saying about the subject everybody wants to know what the locals yeah. are saying yeah. everybody wants to to hear a little bit more of that perspective and there is definitely an appetite for it yeah and so you see academics appreciating that locals have something to offer is that Sometimes. Well, sometimes. <laughs> do you, yeah, do they? Oh, we have seen a few academics yeah. uh, looking very uncomfortable on the yeah. camera. Yeah. They wouldn't say it, but you could, you could kind of guess. Uh, what do you think is... What, so what is it? that the, the view that they're encountering is so different from their I own? I think it's or? just... Uh, for, for, from people living who who are um, who have been living in the city for like mm. decades, they've, uh, it is actually their lived-in environment in the city, so they are used to some of the buildings. They have a very different relationship to the space is a very more much more embodied relationship with space which is not necessarily what the academics have because the academics are so the students for once are in and out every eight weeks the academics are here but then they're away on leave and sabbatical and research so there is this kind of very very high mobility and access to knowledge of the of the academics but a lack of real engagement with the, the place they live in and the legacies on the ground. Yeah, I think also what's a very key difference too is that for academics that are on the tour, 
they are not used to having people with strong opinions question what they say. Um, and locals have strong opinions about their city. They really do. What kind of opinions? Um, every single thing you can think of. <laughs> can think of okay. um, what one has shocked you? Or is there something that sort of stood out? I think just the most common one you get when we get to the statue of Cecil Rhodes. And, you know, that's the first thing you talk about Cecil Rhodes and you talk about the statue and how it gets put up and what it means and how people look at it. And everybody analyzes the statue and says, oh, what does it mean to you? And then should it come down? And that's the question. And the always response that you'll get from somebody usually that if it's just a regular tour is, well, you can't change history. And it is our history. It needs to stay up there. And it's a question that I don't think an academic would expect anymore because when you're in these fields having these conversations, the you've gone down a rabbit hole of conversation that gets quite a lot more technical than it's history and we're changing history. Um, and it kind of shocks you when you hear it again when you're like, well, we've already gotten past this. Haven't we already gotten past this? We should have gotten past this by now. I've talked about it a hundred times. We're going to talk about it a hundred more times with a hundred more people because they haven't gotten past it yet. Yeah, or they have a, a really interesting perspective on it. Yeah, it's also what does history mean to people who are not stu studying it academically? What does history mean to them when they are just here, uh, minding their own business, living in the city, and what like they're used to seeing some buildings, some statues, and how do they? For them, if we remove the statue, it means like we are rewriting the history and the city for them, and it feels sometimes a little bit uh, like a debate that it still needs to be that that hasn't been had just mm. yet for them so does it bring up this is slightly off topic the question yeah. of um who historians are serving essentially or what the purposes of their doing history is and do you think that that the academics who've engaged with your kind of project maybe take that away like who who are they writing history for and what is its impact and well i think the project also helps us articulate like this kind of tension between writing and history also kind of talking about history because that's something I found really so for, for me to, giving tours is a very is a very new thing um, as I say I haven't I haven't I didn't work as a, as a tour guide before so it was also a very 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 steep uh, learning curve in terms of public speaking and my voice also had to adapt uh, I, it was very broken at the start uh, but it feels like it reminded me of why I love studying history I love studying history because I want to be able to talk about it and not just talk about it in a lecture or in which I'm quite excited about tutorials but in a lecture I find lectures a lot more daunting and I don't want to just be writing about it because at the end I end up having those very circumvented sentences but I want to be able to chat about it to engage to have a conversation about it when it's just not just me talking and then maybe getting some criticism three weeks later in an email but actually engaging and having um, interpersonal exchanges about history yeah what olivia said is very true there is a very big difference between writing history and doing history and when you're in a space where most people tend to engage with their history uh, and a space where people actually find history interesting Everybody finds history interesting if you're on a walking tour for history, more or less. That's a space where people are just regular people are there to learn history. But it's so different from the space you're used to as an academic historian that it really changes your... I guess it shakes your foundations and where you think it's supposed to come from. It's supposed to be what those conversations are supposed to sound like. And suddenly you have to realize, actually, there's a whole other world of history out there that... It's not the history we created as academics, it's the history that people live and 
learn every single day that we're not a part of. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so final question on this sort of um, doing the tours, etc. What do you think that people take away? What in a nutshell do you think people take away over the longer term from having engaged in this um, kind of discussion? So not necessarily just um, information about the history, but really what do they take away in terms of the way that you've set up the um, dialogue? I think... Well, Obviously, we cannot. We haven't. We haven't been really good at like eva- having a formal way to evaluate the impact of our engagement because that's what you're supposed to do. But um, I think that in 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 some ways, from the returns we've received from people, a lot of people have reached out to us after coming on the tour, showing expressions of interest with the way that we that we try to to spark those conversations, and actually, people from. So a lot of people working in the city, but working in different institutions in the city, have wanted to kind of start a dialogue to kind of help the project grow. So we've been talking with Homeless Oxfordshire, for instance. We've been in contact with the Oxford Hub. We've worked with their branch up program with uh, local school kids coming on Saturday afternoons to Oxford to do activities to kind of reach out to our even a more diverse public in terms of like age group and interests. Uh, we've started working with the Ashmolean, so I think obviously those are those are still institutions and org- organizations, but it has let it has allowed a few people to think about how we can have this sort of approach, this this engaged engaging approach, uh, this discussion based approach in other settings and on other topics, and how we can bring even more people in in the conversation. People when they walk away from the tour they will take away the question or they'll take away the information. And that's a very important tool. It's not just what happened here, let me memorize facts. It's how do I question what I know about this space? And that's what they take away when they walk away from our tour. Yeah. So um, kind of drawing what you're doing back towards um, our work on this kind of humility gap project, um, I wonder if you can sum up uh, what open-mindedness means to you or what kind of ideas or thoughts you have um, when when that kind of uh, topic or word comes up. What does open-mindedness mean to you? When I think of academic open-mindedness, I think of the willingness to consider the opinion of someone who is not trained in your area, who has very little foundation in that information, and to understand and truly try to understand where they come from in their opinion and think that's a really new perspective I've never considered before. For a lot of individuals who have done so much research on their subject and are experts in their field, it's very difficult to see the field with with fresh eyes again. This is something we haven't done for eight years or ten years or how long you've done your subject for. But suddenly, if you are open-minded, if you do see that new fresh eyes perspective, and it will make you uncomfortable, and sometimes it'll be completely opposite to what you're trying to say. Um, that's what open-mindedness is, though, is it takes it takes a space and makes it open to questioning, to other opinions. And it's a space that you might potentially feel very secure in, but when you open it up, that's exactly what makes that uh, productive growth moment and, and some sort of open-mindedness. Um, I guess, to me, um, open-mindedness, both as an academic and also as, a, as an individual, is very much to, to know that... First, uh, I I don't have the answer. I will never have a definite answer, and there are, and it is kind of a listening skill, um, the skill of being able to listen to other people's opinions, 
suggestions and methodologies and knowing that um, I can only gain something from it, from being open to, to, to a more diverse range of opinions and ideas and that it is not something that will actually uh, push me in a corner as an academic and individual feeling that I'm not, I'm giving out some terrain by letting other people in. It's on, on, on the contrary, that's how my research and whatever uh, my like my findings, that's how they will become richer by actually... So I'm, I'm a big believer in interdisciplinary work and in collaborative work, I think. Uh, in my opinion, working as a, as a lawn researcher has been quite hard. And if I hadn't been open-minded to other people, other sources, uh, other, other fields, I would probably have disliked very much the work that I'm doing. And open-mindedness, I think, is everything that an academic and an individual has to gain uh, well, um, doing research and trying to yeah to learn more about either their specific academic topic or about whatever you're doing in your life in general. Mm, that's great. Um, so just to kind of clarify, do you think that this concept of humility is helpful um, to us as we try to pursue open-mindedness? I guess the the reason I think it's quite helpful is that it helps hone in on some habits and practices that help us move towards open-mindedness. Whereas otherwise, when we talk about open-mindedness, we can um, simply mean that people need to assent to um, a certain set of views or um, perhaps agree with us in some ways in order to even begin being open-minded. Does that make sense? Um, whereas if we kind of bring it down to humility, actually everybody can start engaging in these habits and practices from whichever point they are, however extreme, actually, and however much we might disagree with them. They, they can start processes of decentering, of curiosity, of listening well, um, and, and that's, that seems quite a helpful idea to me. What do, you, what do you think? Do you think that that's helpful, this kind of more incremental approach to um, moving towards being open-minded or... Well, actually, like, open-mindedness is very important, but sometimes people will use it as a, as a kind of an argument in debating, I'm open-minded, or are you accusing me of not being open-minded? So it has a lot of uh, values associated to it, without hum whereas humility, I think, is something that might be a, a better, not a better, but uh, a, a good alternative to start from, because the practice of being humble is something, or of or kind of putting our ego not aside but slightly on the side to not to, to decenter it as as you just said, I think might be something that's that could be a good starting point or a good starting practice to then be more open-minded. When we talk about difficult histories, there's often a feeling that you have to be one side or the other. You have to be left or right. You have to be good or bad and that these histories themselves are left or right or good or bad. And that is what we are trying to take away from the conversation. It's not about being good or bad, left or right. It's actually a addition of complexity, and that means we're not looking at it as a line, we're looking at it as a circle. We're looking at everything as not just a spectrum, but actually as a dynamic web of interactions and if you take out the need to feel like you're on one side or the other when you're in a circle it, there is no sides you're you're just in perspective to other things and that would be what I consider to be the open-mindedness approach to these types of histories where you you place it in an open space and you see yourselves through the dynamics of a larger understanding of location in 
contrast to other locations, but with no set point because that's all relative as you go. Um, yeah, and I don't know that if that makes sense, but that, that would be that would not be a central point circle. And I think, yeah, yeah if you're not adopting this approach. Uh, first, first of all, as an academic, but also like in general and in, in the way you interact or try to have conversations with other, there's a risk of silencing the other voices, yeah. and that's very much what we're trying to to not do. We know that what we're engaged with are difficult questions or debates that are still ongoing, and what we want is to highlight all the different voices that can exist and the ones that sometimes would not be heard for different different reasons, sometimes because the everybody agrees on a topic, but also sometimes because the historical um, kind of we, we benefit from this historical lens as Paula just uh, highlighted in the case of the of the of the Christmas card that we are unable to kind of conceptualize things in their own historical context and how they're perceived at the time. Great. Okay, so just to sum up, what do you think would be um, one habit or practice that might really help us to become open-minded? So if people are in other contexts and they're thinking, actually, what you've done with Uncomfortable Oxford sounds great, how could I bring some of this kind of open-mindedness, help people have um, interesting dialogues from diverse perspectives in my own kind of context? What would your, have you got some kind of top tip that might be a bit tricky? Would it be to listen well, to be curious? To always ask questions. Always ask questions. That's our technique in everything we do. It's how we train our guides. If you come across anybody who comes from a very strong position of opinion, you always question them rather than responding with an equally strong position. Because by questioning, you open the space up for a different response, for a newer consideration. And the more questions you can ask the more likely they are to question themselves as well. And that helps for a lot more dialogue than a statement against a statement against another statement, which just goes nowhere in the end. Great. Thank you, guys.